Good afternoon and welcome to the Midday Farm Review on the Linder Farm Network, live from FarmFest with Lynn Kettleson and today's special guests. Good afternoon, Lynn. Well, good afternoon, Linda, and we're having a great day. It's absolutely beautiful here today at Farm Fest, and we've got a nice crowd. They're digging into the ice cream right now, and we've got a, a fun show coming up. We have our guest farm broadcaster of the day, Rod Hebrink, President, CEO of Compere Financial, and John Munson, Chief Mission and Marketing Officer, is going to join us as a co-host. And Rod, great to have you with us today. What a beautiful day. Oh, it's a gorgeous day. Uh, just perfect weather for Farm Fest. Lots of people milling around, enjoying the weather and enjoying the programs today. And you've got some questions for the governor and for other people as well. His yes, opponents. I'm looking forward to talking Scott to the governor Jensen. and Mr. Jensen. Yep, that'll be good. John, great to have you with us. Well, it's great to be here on your birthday, Lynn. Thank you. Uh, and every, every year we celebrate that here, of course, but always fun to be able to meet the candidates. Now back to Farm Fest with Lynn Kettleson. Well, thank you very much. We're having a great day. It's absolutely beautiful here at Farm Fest. Rod Hebrink, President CEO of Compere Financial, is joining us along with John Munson. And you've got a special... We have a special guest. Yes. Governor Walls is joining us. Thank you for being here today, Governor. Yeah, good to be back with all of you. Once again, thanks, everybody, for taking time to come. About a round of applause for the thank Governor for joining us today. You betcha. So we've got some questions for you. Earlier today, we were talking about rural issues and... If there is a bright side to COVID, one of the things is it's, it's allowed people to work more flexibly and people who are interested in coming back to rural areas in rural Minnesota. But one of the challenges is they need things like broadband. And we don't always have good access to broadband in rural Minnesota. So what might we do and what policies would you pursue to strengthen broadband availability? Yeah, and I think this is one of the things. This is one of those cases, usually it's a resource issue. Um, the previous administration, the Trump administration, put in a significant amount of money into broadband. They let those contracts out. So there's a, there's a federal track going, and then statewide, in a bipartisan way, we've invested about $300 million in this. One of the questions I had of the suppliers was, is the supply chain issue holding back the ability to put fiber in the ground or whatever we need to do? They say no. The smart thing was done, I believe this was started under Governor Paul Enney's administration continued through the Dayton administration and to us is the border-to-border -border broadband coalition that makes sure that we're not overbuilding in some areas and that we're taking every corner of the state into consideration. The good thing is about this is we have found out, and it's absolutely true, you can run a multinational corporation from the smallest community wherever you choose to live if that broadband is there and if you have the workforce to do it. So I think right now you're seeing the build-out go out. But I do think you need to take into consideration there are areas in the seven-county metro area that are having the same issue, and it, it hurts with our kids in, in being able to access for homework, and it hurts the growth of these uh, of, of any business. The good news is we have the resources, the contracts have been let, the fiber's going into the ground, and the goal, I think, is, is to try and finish this thing over about the next 36 months that we should be able to see that in most corners of the state. Well, thank you, and we hope we make great progress on, on the broadband issue. Another one of those issues that we've talked about, and you would mentioned earlier the unemployment rate in Minnesota is down to 1.8%, the lowest it's ever been, but that shortage of, of labor is a particularly acute in rural areas, rural businesses, farm labor is available. What may we do to increase the supply and availability of labor? Yeah, a couple things, and I think when all of you ask this question, uh, it's not wrong to say taking the unemployment rate in a vacuum 
maybe doesn't give the whole picture. The good news in Minnesota is we have the second highest labor participation rate, meaning the number of people who can work are working. Only one state surpasses us in that. One of the issues is we're an aging population. You see this in countries like Finland and Japan, where they're simply aging out the workforce. And so one of the issues that we have is, is making sure we're aligning that workforce. And here in Minnesota, it is going to be a very diverse-looking workforce. The conversation we always have in ag country is about immigration, legal immigration. How do we make sure that we're matching up workers, they're in this country legally, and they're participating in the system? I think one of the things is we're seeing desirability of coming here. We're seeing that match up, and hopefully we're doing, this is happening, we're seeing a lot of parents leave the workforce over that child care issue, which maybe we can get them back into that. And, and I think we're going to have to because there is a mismatch now between the number of jobs open and the number of workers. John, did you have a question for the governor? And well, then, he's got a you know, tight schedule, so. Yeah, so, I mean, you've been all around the state. I mean, how many times? And so you, you've seen the rural communities, you've seen agriculture, you've seen the interdependence between yep. them. What's one of the biggest takeaways that you've seen? What's something that's really kind of resonated with you as you've gone through outstate Minnesota, just kind of sticks with you? Uh, time and again. Yeah, well, I watch the resiliency of this. I keep talking about these trade missions where we take actual producers and they're working with that. And as they talk about the sense of pride and the sense of innovation that's happening in their community, it's inspiring, folks. I mean, this is literally the dry bean folks went to England, talked to the folks, and for the first time, the container ships left the Port of Duluth to deliver beans to Europe. Those are things that I think, as you see, that is good for the entire economy. I don't care if you're living in Minneapolis, Mankato, or if you're living in Renville. You need those things that you're doing are impacting the entire state's economic capacity. And I think there's a real optimism about this. States are starting to pick up on this. If our federal government is dysfunctional and they can't get along, they obviously have overall authority over trade. But we can do these bilateral trade issues, and what I'm seeing is it's a lot of greater Minnesota is a part of that. We're also seeing our big companies. We now have a Mayo Clinic in London, as I said. We're now seeing manufacturing of Medtronic in South Korea. We also see Doosan Bobcat coming here. Those are all, in a lot of cases, in more rural areas, and we're making an impact. So I'm pretty hopeful and pretty optimistic that Minnesota's position, again, that 15% increase in ag exports is about as high as anywhere in the country. That's the folks that are making that happen. Governor, we appreciate you coming here today, and you had a lively debate. And really, that's what it's all about, having a lively debate and talking about issues. Yeah, and I would say for all of you, you exercise your right to vote, exercise your right to be in this. But I think we can move our politics back to a point and say, I totally disagree with this guy. He's worse than a broken clock. I don't know how he can get there. And still recognize that our neighbors, we can work together. It wasn't that many years ago that we were able to do that, that we were able to just kind of connect from this and bring the debate back to the policies, try and debate on the facts, and try and see what the results would be. And I think by all of you coming out here, you believe it's possible. And um, I think Minnesota, we've always done this, we have the highest voter turnout in the country. I think today shows that that's going to happen again. That's all good for the democracy. It, that's more important, I think, than the actual outcomes in many times that the public believes that they can make a difference. So I want to thank you all for being here. Thanks for having me. Next time you're on your bike, give me a call and we'll uh, go biking together. I'd love to. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Round of applause for Governor Walls. We'll take a break and be back on the Linder Farm Network right after this. John Munson is joining us right now, along with Rod Hebrink. And John, 
you've got a special guest. Dr. Jensen, our candidate for governor, is with us today, and so I'm excited to uh, have a conversation with him. But mostly I want to know, how did you become a candidate, and how does a candidacy get conducted from your point of view? What do you want to see happen? Well, I'm a family doctor, first and foremost, and I thought I was done with politics. I'd served a term in the Senate, and my wife had some health problems. She ended up having four major surgeries in the span of 18 months, and I needed to be at her side. But when she got done with those four surgeries, one morning she looked at me and she said, Scott, I haven't felt this good in a decade. So in our house, Mary's a miracle. Right about then, COVID was hitting. And I still remember the day, it was a Friday in April, and I raised my hand sort of when I read an email that said, we want you to change the way you complete death certificates if COVID's involved. And I said, that can't be right. And I said it loud enough on one of the TV shows I was on that I got to meet Laura Ingram and I ended up becoming a regular. So that's how we got into it. All of a sudden I was being pushed to the front of the line. I was being asked to speak to issues, put them in context. And I literally became a national figure. And I think I have a half a million people that follow me every day. And people started to push me to run for governor. And for six months, my wife and I said, no, that's not for us. But after six months and a lot of prayer and meditation, the words of Esther 4.14, have you considered you're in the position you're in for such a time as this, really struck our heart. And we said, okay, we have to do this. So 18 months ago, we started, and here we are. Yeah, so talk a little bit about the campaign. Yeah, we've got some audience uh, applause here. But, but talk a little bit more about the campaign. So we had a very spirited debate today. How do you want that to kind of work its way through over time? How does, what's the context of the campaign look like for you? Well, I think we need to be in front of people because we can, the machine of politics can always sort of present a, an image that might be appealing. I'm sure that within the next two or three months, there'll be TV ads that say that I've had 17 wives and I've got horns growing from my forehead. But really, Mary and I have been together for 44 years. She and I are soulmates. We have three kids, two physicians and an attorney, and we love the attorney just as much. And uh, so I think that here we are, and what I want most is people need real stuff. Like today, we had a good debate, but there were several things that didn't come out. One of them would be, I wasn't right on everything. I was wrong on the origin of the COVID virus. I really felt like it was most likely a natural reassortment of three different species. And I think now the data looks like it may well have been created in a lab. And I think Robert Redfield, the former CDC director, is saying the same thing. So I think people need to know when we're right and when we're wrong. And I would have loved to have been able to explore a little bit today that when Governor Walz was in Congress and he was on the Ag Committee and he was, the Ag Committee does a big bill every five years or so. But in 2018, he checked out. He didn't even vote on the Ag Bill. And I think that people need to know that, that maybe he was so busy running for governor that his job as Congress wasn't as impactful. I think that when those kinds of things happen and the Mankato Free Press comes out and hits you on that, I think it's fair for people to know that. And I think when a few weeks ago, Governor Walls told, I think it was Minnesota Public Radio, that putting uh, incarcerating felons isn't the answer. Well, in terms of our crime, if incarcerating felons isn't the answer, then what is? How are we going to stop 
lawlessness if we don't start putting repeat felons in jail. Those are some things I would have loved to have talked about. But we had a great opportunity yesterday, John, to talk about our 10-point plan for ag. We want to make it easier for the family farm to stay in the family. We need to enhance the estate tax laws for farmers. Quite honestly, I think Minnesota should think about doing what 35 other states have done and just get rid of the estate tax. I think we need to make sure that we stop killing good ideas and good initiatives through our rules and our regulations and our permits. We're literally permitting farmers to death. I was just talking to a, a gentleman about 10 minutes ago, and it cost him, before he could even put a shovel in the ground, to just to build a pole barn. He was 20000 in, he'd had to be several months, and he doesn't know if he's still going to get the permit. At some point in time, we've got to stop this, and government's got to get out of the way and let farmers farm. Nobody will be a better steward of the land you live on than the folks who live on that land. I think that's so important. Okay. Uh, did you have a quick question? We have about one minute left, Rod. Well, uh, earlier today we were talking about urban, rural issues. You mentioned some key farm policies programs you're interested in. Tell us about other broad rural issues that you're focused on. Well, I really want to see us do a better job of getting rural, greater Minnesota communities a chance to keep their young people. That means we have to get broadband connectivity at a level we haven't done. We have got to start letting kids know in high school, you can be in the agribusiness world, which is a third of our economy, and there's a lot of cool things to do, whether you're talking research, inventory, sales, finance, accounting, we're actually doing the farming itself. My wife's a veterinarian. She was a mixed animal vet. She worked with big cow herds. So I think there's so much we can do. I just don't think greater Minnesota's had a real champion. And that's what I intend to do. I'm a kid from Sleepy Eye who got my way through college by working at Del Monte. And I was just blessed uh, to live in an, if you will, an agricultural community. All right, Dr. Scott Jensen joining us here at Farm Fest. How about a round of applause? We have another special guest with us, Scott Lambert, President, Minnesota Automobile Dealers Association. And Rod, you've got a question for him. Yeah, Scott. Scott, thank you for being with us today. And we've been talking about transportation issue, biofuels, electric vehicles come into that conversation. So tell us about the important of, importance of automobiles and automobile dealerships in the state of Minnesota. Well, we are a $14 billion industry in Minnesota. Uh, we have over 42,000 employees, and we're really the cornerstone of the local communities and the heartbeat of rural America. Our, our dealerships uh, do a great job taking care of their local communities. Scott. Question. Scott, question for you here. So. The California regulations have been a concern for you. Can you kind of explain that to the crowd here to help us understand that a little better? Yeah, there's a pretty big difference between the candidates today during the debate, so let me just be clear about this. The facts are that a year ago, Governor Walls signed into law the California car rules. That is now the policy of this state and the law of Minnesota. It puts the California Air Resources Board in charge of the Minnesota car business and what vehicles you can buy as customers. The, the California rules have an ultimate ban on the sale of gas-powered vehicles. That's, that's not up for debate. Those are the facts. The ban comes into effect by model year 2035, and by model year 2025, there will be a 35% need for dealerships to sell electric vehicles. Right now, we sell electric vehicles at about a 2% rate, 
and in a couple of years it's going to be at a 35% rate. That'll be the requirement. That'll be a requirement. That's, that's a requirement from California. California is making decisions. This was a decision made by Governor Walls. He did it without talking to anybody in the car business. We still have not had a chance to talk to him. He refuses to meet with us, but it's a fact that he signed the bill into law and that's got all these onerous requirements coming down the line. Did that run through Congress or through the legislature? No, the governor did this by administrative rule. Uh, there was never a bill or a debate uh, in either the House or Senate on the subject. Okay. Scott, we appreciate you stopping up here today. Car dealers are certainly a big part of rural Minnesota. Thank you, Lynn. Happy birthday, too. Okay. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. All right. Let's talk a bit more about uh, Compere. Thanks a lot, Scott. Compere Financial. Rod, uh, how are things looking for Compere? Compere is, uh, is doing great. We're having another great year, and a lot of that has to do with our customers, all of our farmer producers out there. Uh, agriculture has, it turns out, has had strong years in 2020, 2021, and uh, at least 2022 looks to be strong. Now, we know that there's more questions about 2023, but as, as we sit today, uh, 22 should be a good year for producers in Minnesota. Rod, this is your last farm fest. You're retiring. Yes, so what I does am. it feel like? to have this be your last farm fest. You've been doing a lot of, you're beginning that process of the lasts now. What's it like? Well, then the sad part about that is everybody is reminding me that it's my last <laughs> something along the way. And I'll keep doing that. Uh, but you know, otherwise it, it's, I'm very proud of Compeer and what the organization has been come, become. We, we celebrated five years in the formation of Compeer, bringing three farm credit organizations together five years ago. And, uh, you know, personally, one of the things I'm proud of is that everything that we promised our stockholders when we brought those organizations together, we've delivered. And I know that there's a lot of farmer cooperatives where you go through those consolidations, and you can't necessarily say that that's the case. And so we feel really good about what we've accomplished. All right, gentlemen. Well, we appreciate you joining us today, and uh, that was fun. It was. It's always great to meet the candidates and hear the, well, these are, these are very different candidates this time. Yeah, that's for sure. And debate certainly has to be part of what, what it's all about. It should be, and that's, uh, that's great. So, Rod, good to have you here. Your last, it doesn't have to be your last farm fest. Well, maybe you'll invite back. me back next year. But thank you, Lynn. Yeah. And happy <laughs> birthday. Anytime you want. John, good to have yeah, you Yeah, this is absolutely perfect. Thank you so much, Lynn.